When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Ah, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Oh my gosh, we've been off for a month. We took a nice little uh, harvest time break. Was it a month? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, I don't remember. I'm terrible. Time has like, a meaning. Yeah, I feel like the last episode we put out, was it Halloween? Yeah, so yeah, yeah just about a month, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, not over a month because now it's December. So, oh, but it's all right because we were recharging. We were, uh, you know, reaping the rewards of the harvest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that we, I'm talking uh, about. <laughs> we were, we were, we set ourselves uh, on the windowsill in yeah. the mo- in the moonlight. <laughs> exactly <laughs> to recharge. Yeah, it's always nice at this time of year. You know, just take that little break. You know, a couple months, a couple weeks off, so we can uh, recharge and rest and be with family and doing all that stuff. And you were traveling, I was traveling. We were doing a lot. So yeah, we were. Now we're back. So what? What were the highlights? I don't have any highlights. Oh no, I was on a cruise. That's no, right. I, just, I don't have any highlights. <laughs> I was just on a cruise. Well, you know, it's so funny because it's like life goes back to normal so quickly like that you you know sometimes I do I forget because I'm like in the last couple weeks of the semester so I'm dealing with like a one week and then finals uh, so it's like all like the last minute stuff so it's like we got back and I'm just like running right you know you're running up that hill running up that damn hill forever sisyphus pushing academic academia mm-hmm. up the fucking hill uh, anyways, uh, yeah, no, of course, the cruise was awesome. It was wonderful. Um, not as good as previous, I will say. COVID, mm. COVID definitely put the kibosh on a lot of like, uh, you know, just the good times that we usually have. I feel like a lot of the entertainment on the boat usually is a lot more um, involved and like hanging out with, you know, just kind of out and about. But I like, I feel like they're. I don't think there was like a rule that they couldn't hang out with passengers, but I feel like it was like an unspoken thing, you know, cause like any, almost everybody employed for the boat from staff to like the artists were always wearing their masks. Uh, even though we weren't, we didn't need to quote unquote, because everybody had to have like tests, vaccines. You, we tested even before we got it onto mm-hmm. the boat, like rapid tests, the whole ordeal. Um, but it just felt like they were a little more distance than usual. And like, that's one of the things I really love is just like hanging out with like these artists from all over the country, all over the world and like jamming and, and hanging out and like talking about music. And so that didn't really happen. Uh, Melissa herself was really sparse. You know, again, this was the Melissa Etheridge cruise, you know, 
mm-hmm. just to remind people. Uh, I'm sure they're all like, yeah, we fucking know, dude. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, she was just kind of away. I, I feel like kind of sequestered as well. Um, to some degree. I mean, she was at stuff. Obviously, she played shows and she popped up and did things, but it wasn't as much as usual. Uh, we were down, I think, about 500 people uh, cruise-wise, so which you know was nice because the cruise was even more empty, which I like. But uh, I missed a lot of people that just you know are older or immunocompromised or for whatever reason like couldn't come this time around, mm-hmm. and so I, I there was people I definitely missed. So overall, it was just kind of a weird. It was much more insular. Like Jeffrey and I spent a lot of time like just us together. Like we'd go to lunches, we'd go to breakfast together. Um, we did a lot of things like that. And then we kind of split up. I'd spend a few hours a day in like the spa area alone reading and, you know, uh, steaming. I'm a happy clam. Jeffrey said, just steaming, you know, uh, he would read, then we'd reconvene for, you know, dinner and shows and so it was just it was a very different experience than the past ones but mm, super relaxing um it was really nice there was a day where um we were sitting at lunch and jeffrey he looked at me and he's like your face is there's no lines on your face right now and i'm like oh i'm so relaxed i'm so happy wow yeah it was such a nice compliment <laughs> It's like you just look so relaxed. I'm like, I am. This is the best. It's like the best gift in like late in the semester to like fucking just go away. <laughs> and I really tried not to even think about anything. Like there was a day where I was in the spa and like the on this particular ship, they have like a thermal tub that fits one. They have hot tubs, but they also have like in the spa on its own, like a thermal tub. And I was like laying in there and I started thinking like, oh, I've got to apply for grad school. Oh, shit, I got to write that paper. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I was like, no. Like I just, I like literally pushed it out of my mind. Like, nope, I'm he- There's nothing I can do right now. I'm here bubbling away, frothing, you know, Joshua's soup. I'm not thinking about this bullshit. So... Well, good for you. So reality rushed back really quickly, and now I've already, it's like I've already forgotten <laughs> that it happened. Which is you so feel depressing. the knots returning. You feel, yeah. 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 What about you? Uh, well, I guess your highlights, what? You, you came to dinner here. Good for you. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, all my highlights revolved around you. Yeah. Um, I rearranging my linen closet. I did. I rearr- I I watched the little gremlins while you were away. That's true. You did. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Um, and I rearranged your linen closet. Well, I mean, I mean, I I did the laundry. Well, I did the towels at least. Yeah. And, no, I appreciated it. I'm totally. Um, I'm just totally fucking with you. And um, uh, you had a lovely friendsgiving. Um, I think the best highlight. I talked talk to you. The talk to you a little bit about this is that I um, so I didn't advertise this to anybody but uh except for uh jimmy kins but i went to um uh, a friend of mine courtney who is a theater artist and teacher uh posted on facebook that she was going to um be musically directing this thing called bucketless broadway which is basically a um it's a thing where people who like, you know, love broadway love musicals maybe have never done one or haven't done one in a long time get together over a weekend to like work on a solo song and then also do like a little performance number. Oh. And so I did that with, so I was like, you know what? I got this promotion. I'm going to treat myself. And, 
um, I decided to sign up for it. And, you know, Courtney is a, is an amazing teacher. And so to opportunity to work with her in that way is really, um, I didn't want to pass it up. So I went and it was this very small group, it was like four folks. Um, and I sang a song and it was all took place in this like beautiful backyard of, uh, the, um, the kind of proprietress who, who ran everything. And yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was also like, it, it was very, it, it was very like, I did it. It, it was a hundred percent for me. Cause it's yeah. like, I wanted to know in myself if like, okay, if I had taken a different path or had different priorities and wanted to actually perform regularly in like musicals and stuff, could I do that? And I got that answer. Um, so no or yes? Uh, yes. Okay. The answer, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sh- your face. I wasn't sure what that meant. You're like, no, I yeah, got the answer. I, I got that answer and it was yes. And yeah. So are you going to, you're going to try out for stuff? No, I don't oh, think okay. so. Because I, I, cause I'm very, I'm very content right now. It's it, it doing like with my life and all the stuff that I have going on. Yeah. The only thing that was kind of missing quote unquote is just like, I do enjoy singing, but I don't necessarily enjoy like that kind of commitment of, I want to do the stuff that I want to do. I don't want to sing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have like the passion or desire to like do a show that maybe I'm not a hundred percent about, you know? Okay. Yeah. I get that. So Good yeah. So maybe there's going to be like a little cabaret thing in the future or something like that. But yeah. Um, so yeah. So, you know, it's, it was, it was really fun and I recommend you do it. I recommend other people who are in the area. Um, if they're interested to check it out, bucket list Broadway. Um, we should do like a fright school cabaret. That would be fun. Oh my gosh, that'd be so much fun. Just like a I night. can't feel nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a night of like horror musical tunes. You oh know? my gosh. Which is like a piano, you know? And uh, maybe a guitar. Maybe like maybe a, a guitar. Maybe a little combo, like piano yeah. guitar. Yeah, keep and, it stripped back yeah. though, you know, and just uh yeah. <laughs> like a little like like the jazz version of Zydrate Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Chase the morning. Um, I'm kind of here for this. Uh, maybe not that. N- here's us having a production meeting on yeah, air again. Yeah, yeah, folks. yeah. Uh, I'm sure people I, would love that. I actually think that would be really fun. I think it could be, yeah. 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 But um, we'll figure that out. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk. We'll, yeah. we'll chat about it. Uh, I just looked at my calendar over there that's still set to September. What is wrong with me? Dang, what a monster. Um, it's horrible. And I love the calendar so much. These like woodcut drawings. It's kind of creepy. Oh, that's really and nice. Pretty. Um, podcasts are a visual medium, so of course. Yeah, I know. They're... Everybody's so excited <laughs> about this. Um, I also went to Vegas with Jimmy Kins. That's right. Um, we went on a weekend trip to uh, the city of Lost Wages. Um, just to get away before the holidays. And it was really, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of food. <laughs> we yeah. ate, we ate a lot of really tasty food. Vegas is good for that. Um, and I didn't lose too much at a blackjack table. So that was great too. Well, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back out to Vegas again. Um, well, we're talking about it cause we might yes. go see a deli. Yes. Might go see a deli meat. I really, really um, want to try and see her. A delinquency. A, de- a delinquency. <laughs> Whatever they call it on that. Parodies. A delicatessen. <laughs> Par- parodies, that YouTube channel that always is uh, 
they Don't cut, come for me in Spirit Airlines. Yeah, they cut the videos together of like all of them fighting or talking with each other, being shady, shady boots, house down, can all you, that. Can you uh, believe that uh, Rihanna is like officially the national like treasure of Barbados? No. I mean, well, Barbados is the newest republic in right. the world, but it's the national treasure of Barbados. Yeah. I like Rihanna. I uh, am not a huge fan of Adele's new record. I'm really sad. Really? Yeah, like 30. Uh, yeah, 30. Uh, but six years, you know, took to come out. And I just, I don't know. I guess I'm underwhelmed by it. I need to listen to it more, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first pass through it, I was like, mm. I like the single, That Easy On Me. I do like that song a lot. There's like there's a couple songs that I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this. But yeah. Yeah, but I would still like to see her live. I don't care. I want to be in the presence of that voice yeah. at some point well, in my life. Well, she's, you know, when she does it, she's going to do the hits. So, yeah, it'll be ever. It'll be yeah. a make. I mean, I I don't know how that what that's going to look like at Caesars. Um, I, we checked out last night. Uh, we took a peek at that like one night only or whatever the hell it's called on like Paramount Plus. Uh, the Oprah interview, and so, although I mm-hmm. fast forwarded through that because I only wanted to see the music stuff, and the show she put on in front of the Griffith. Um, observatory was really cool, like you know. But I mean, it was very like singular. So I'm like wondering, is that kind of what they're going to do? Where it's like yeah. just going to be her singing and no like, you know. Well, there might no, like, be like Celine Dion. Like, well, projection. that's the thing. It could be like Celine Dion a little bit. There might be because when I saw I saw Celine in her last kind of few months of the, of her residency in Vegas, and it cut back a lot on. You know, because we, we play that video sometimes of, like, I'm Alive with Cirque du Soleil in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they cut back on all of that stuff, and it was just, like, full orchestra. Her, her she didn't call them background singers. She was, like, my professional singers. Mm-hmm. And then there was some projection of certain things. Like, yeah. she did the song, <laughs> she did the song that, um, like, that was written for her to do for the beginning of Deadpool 2. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she showed like projections of Deadpool two on, on it, which was you know again that's Celine What's Dion's What's that called? Humor. Ashes. Ashes. Yeah. Let come out of ashes. Wow. This will be this will be in the cabaret. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah definitely should be, uh, especially the way you just sang it. That's so perfect. Yeah. Perfection. Um. Yeah, so I would like to go see Adele, and maybe with you. I think that'd be fun, and we can just uh, have a good time. Uh, but we'll see when the tickets go on sale what the prices and all are going to be. That might not be a uh, front row show. We no, have to, that'll we be... We might have to sit up in the, in in the, the nosebleeds. Nose in the nosebleeds. Uh, so, speaking of shadiness uh, RuPaul's new season got announced, and they have a straight male allegedly straight male contestant who does drag, cisgender. Uh, you didn't hear about this? This is news to me. Oh my gosh. I thought we were going to have this whole great conversation about I know this. That, I knew that the, the queens were announced and I just skimmed through it to see if it was anyone I was familiar with and none, none. I was not familiar with anyone. You were not, you were not familiar. Okay, well, now I did not prepare. Apparently uh, it's a season of weirdos. Well... I mean, isn't that always yeah. the thing? Uh, yeah, I really thought you would like have all kinds of stuff to say. So, uh, shit, I should have. Uh, I maybe should have thrown this out earlier today so we could have talked about. So, it. but yeah, first straight male contestant Maddie Morphosis will be the show's first ever heterosexual cisgender male contestant. Uh, it's coming Friday, January seventh uh, on VH1. 
So I guess it's back because wasn't it somewhere else? I don't know. I can't keep. It'll it'll still be if it's VH1. That's still like connected to Paramount Plus. So. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, straight man into Drag Race marks the first time someone who does not identify as LGBTQ has participated on the show. Although, didn't the UK Drag Race have a ma- a straight? I-, I didn't watch UK. I thought one of them, but maybe they just mean in the original. Because I thought one of those guys said he was straight. I don't know. Uh, a straight, well, mm, yeah, a straight cis male, right? Yeah, but heterosexual. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like like yeah. a drag queen who is a, is a heterosexual man. That's what they're saying. How? I, yeah, I I guess maybe we're going to have to like table this conversation now because you need to like read some of the... And I really thought you'd be on this. No, I, I'm so no, no, sorry, no. podcast listeners. Uh, I thought you were going to be like, oh, girl, I got so much to say about this. <laughs> well, see, that is your uh, that is your typification of me, thinking I am that girl. It's like, true, but I mean, drag, you're pretty plugged into that in queer culture, so I thought you'd be all over this. Because, yeah, I mean, it's like really dividing people, obviously. I mean, like, you know, every time... <laughs> What is it? Every uh, every time, like, there's a new drag race, there's also, like, a new variant. So, like, yeah. this is, you know... <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race COVID-19 <laughs> edition. Yes, yes. This, like... is the, this is season Omicron <laughs> at, right. at this point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll still watch it. But I also... One thing for me is that, like, I, I'm starting... I'm trying to do more of this thing where, like, I don't watch so much television no 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 no. i don't watch the previews of stuff that like i want to actually enjoy watching okay and then i save all of the quote-unquote research or the wiki holes after okay i just felt like this was like the queer news this week like it was on everything like yeah i I couldn't avoid it i I didn't know that there was gonna like i didn't see anybody talking about that too either that i just saw like oh Oh, season 14 but not like there's gonna be a straight straight woman yeah i saw straight man i'm i meant woman in the sense of oh you and i are a woman yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 Uh, and see, will they call him girl? I have no idea. Like, we'll have to watch and find uh, out. And I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's kind of dividing people because, like, there's this kind of idea of, like, you know, carving space out and, like, safe space for queer people. And, like, drag is this kind of, you know, in this weird place. So it's like, you know, what are we doing if it's, like, a straight man in drag? Like, that's kind of part of the conversation. Like, you know, I, I saw, like, somebody posted this, a friend on Facebook, and, like, the comments, I mean, there were just, you know, a hundred comments, and it was, like, people, like, just so divided. Like, no, he needs to go. Like, he doesn't belong there. And other people are like, no, like, queer people, we carved out, like, safe spaces. We should, like, be championing gender diversity and like a straight guy who like wants to explore this side of him and 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 you know um it's only proving the distinctions between like gender sexuality you know like what that means it was just all over the place so um but we can't really have this conversation until uh we see it and maybe get a little bit more at least yeah and get you caught up with some of the the discussion so my apologies again i really i mean like i'm i'm my initial thought, right? Yeah. Like, I can just give you my first thought. My initial thought is that, like, a straight man who does drag, there is something inherently, like, alternative, quote right. unquote, about that, right? Yeah. So, it, because drag is an art form that comes from queerness, that comes from, uh, from, from that culture, from peep, from those people, um, 
and is rooted in that, there's never not going to be anything that's inherently queer about that. So it's like, if you are going to be the quote unquote heterosexual cis male contestant, like how, like, are you going to have to constantly prove your straightness? Yeah. I think it's going to bring up some conversations. Yeah. 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 yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Which is kind of what I meant by saying like allegedly, because I mean, again, I mean, whatever, I, I don't really have an opinion i mean if a guy says he's straight then i'm just like yeah he's straight and we move on yeah so but obviously there's lots of conversation out there of like is that a thing is that possible and it's like well he's saying it is so you know um or like a woman who does drag like that sort of like kind of art form like a um a cis cis woman woman, uh doing drag so i don't know i i mean i'm always i've said it here before i'm always excited for things that expand and challenge our notions of of queer culture and like mm-hmm. what that means and uh, if we're trying to move to a space truly where like gender doesn't matter, sexuality doesn't matter, and we really um, just kind of allow people to be whatever they want to be, then like gatekeeping or uh, trying to prevent those advancements from happening are important. Uh, and we don't need like it doesn't mean that we lose like queer identities or like we don't lose like the safety, like the families we create, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Again, we'll see as this continues to bubble in the culture and as this continues to happen. Cause I think we're going to see a lot more of that. No. Um, Elvira was uh, in the news again this week because she did an auction with Julian's auction house. And I was listening to an interview with her that I thought was kind of just kind of, connected to this because she brought up like you know we talk about like Elvira's drag we've talked about Freddy Krueger as drag in a way Pee Wee Herman she also brought up um, she said something about like Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper being sort of like characters almost like drag queens mm-hmm. uh, to some extent uh, that 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 like who you see on stage as Rob Zombie or Alice Cooper like they're not really like that in in life but people have a hard time separating you know, so like the news that Rob Zombie was a vegan, even though that's not news, but somehow it was resurrected. It kind of like everybody like was like, "What?" You know, because they so associate him with this sort of like uh, character that he plays. Uh, so I don't know. It kind of made me think of stuff like that, like Kiss, and like men have played with makeup, men have played with gender I- identity, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time in in heterosexual spaces. Yeah. So maybe this is just the natural advancement of that sort of ideology but we'll see i don't know yeah um i I think i'm i think we need to prepare ourselves for queer people that we know and by we i mean like queer people who are fans of the show Mm. like in general need to prepare ourselves for other people to be really really divided about this yeah i think so and i'm very curious to see like everything i'm curious to see who in like the dominant like i'm curious to see the white straight girls who like gatekeep drag, mm. you know, I'm curious to see the responses of that. Cause I think that that's like a, you know, something that's kind of grown out of like RuPaul's drag race. And we've talked about this before, like straight women in queer spaces, like kind of the conversations that can happen in that, you know, like when they, there's certain, there could be entitlements, there could be expectations, there could be, like, definite, like, I've decided what drag is. Obviously, that a lot of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, like, the contestants have been on the show that have gone up, you know, they talk a lot about the fan base of Drag Race and uh, how there's a lot of that sort of gatekeeping for people who are not queer, who are not, um, 
uh, at all part of like the culture itself, but are fans of it. So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see both all the responses, you know, yeah. and, ha- and how this, and how this will go. Because it's been really, sp- I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's been really interesting over the last few years um, as drag becomes more mainstream, there are people who have like come out of the woodwork in my life that are like, Oh my God, I love drag race. Mm-hmm. And, being someone who's watched from like you know the single digit seasons, <laughs> the early like mm-hmm. the the early seasons, it's like I've seen how it's grown and changed. I will support it to a certain extent because it does lift up an art form that I yeah. really appreciate. But like, it's been so weird the way people like th- to hear people's opinions as they're binge watching it. Yeah, and it's like, Ugh, like I don't like that seems a little you know, oh, I like the newer seasons. I'm like, eh, why? Because, you know, the girls are sending themselves into like thousands of dollars in debt. Right, like, yeah. Because there, there's no history or context and also there's no history or context with like Paris is burning or anything like that. Yeah, or like like how many of these people actually went and to a bar and saw a drag show like in their community mm-hmm. and who are like, well, that's not drag. Like something, um, Jackie Beat posted something the other day where... I don't remember exactly what it was. It was like, it was like a message board post or something from a clear, like a straight person who was just like criticizing something about drag that they thought was like very too adult. And like, that's not what drag is. Like, why can't drag just go back to being like family friendly, wholesome entertainment? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you know nothing like about like drag. And it was just this really strange sort of thing where, you know, you're kind of seeing that, that what we're talking about, like in, in such a very real way. The Disneyfication of like drag. Yeah. This person, kiddo friendly Christmas drag shows. My 11 year daughter is obsessed with drag and I want to find her a holiday show. She found a video of Miss Jackie beat Christmas and it was very upsetting. Explicit lyrics with drug talk. Any recommendations for traditional drag shows? Ah! Thanks in advance. And then somebody else posed, commented, it's a shame some people are trying to turn drag into a negative. Have you heard of Drag Queen Story Hour? It's great for kiddos. Um, so it was like this whole, like, I don't know, just like blew my mind that I'm like, people like really have zero context for like the history of drag and how subversive it's always been, how challenging it's always been. And, you know, I think, like, there is this really weird reckoning now where it's, like, drag queens are becoming, like, circus clowns, like, expected to be something, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. So, anyways, the point is, is that we are here over the last five years of doing this show. We've talked a lot about the challenges of Drag Race. You know, our show is, like, half horror films, half drag. <laughs> and here we are again at the precipice of another, like, conversation. You know, we saw, like... The, like the beginnings of like the trans conversation. Now we've had a trans masculine drag queen compete. Yeah. We're seeing these sorts of changes in these shifts, but we've had trans women compete as right. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's just, so it's interesting, right? Because like, so Jimmy Kins is getting into drag race now. He like yeah. started from season two, uh, Cause you can't find season one streaming anywhere. Uh, he started from season two and he's gone on to like, he's making his way through and we've always kind of, you know, gently poked, you know, ribbed at him a little bit like, Oh, you need to watch this and you need to watch that. But then like with us, like I, I know, like I understand your humor. I know where it comes from and I know you as a person. There's some other folks that like when we, 
if they ask, like, if he's ever seen Drag Race, they get like, <gasps> what? Like, it's the yeah. most egregious thing. And I and I don't know them. Because it's such a specific. It, yeah, it's so yeah. specific. And it's like, you know, it's not rec- like, it. you know, he, everyone contains multitudes. Um, yeah, no, I don't think Drag Race is required queer viewing. But that's the thing is that, like, that's the other weird kind of gatekeepy thing right. about it, right? Yeah. They, is that they... Um, it's like, oh, well, you know, you're, are you watching drag or not? And that's the, and I also like, every time I meet new queer people, I don't assume that they're drag, they're, they, uh, like they are drag fans. I don't assume that they even know anything about RuPaul. Um, and then when it, and then it's always a pleasant surprise when they do, because you're able to connect with that a little bit more. No, absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have friends who are going to see on New Year's Eve, they're going to see, Farla Jean Merman, Sherry Vine, yeah. Heclina. They're going to see Grand Dames of drag. Yeah. And they have never, they're not even familiar with any of them at all. That will be interesting. And I'm curious like, to hear what they say. That's very, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I'm like, this is actually really fascinating because like, you know, I, I'm familiar with them because I know a little bit of, you know, I know a little bit of history. I've seen some of their work, like, um, as kind of how they, you know, it wasn't just RuPaul that paved the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. No, of course not. Uh, you know, it's just, she was very successful. And again, I wonder if Divine had not died, like, I think we might even be farther, in, you know, because like Hairspray was a really big crossover hit mm-hmm. and like Divine had other, op- like if Divine had actually voiced like Ariel, or, I mean, uh, Ursula in The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid, and had ended up being on like Married with Children. I, I'm curious how different culture may have been affected. Like if we would have been pushed mm-hmm. a little bit more forward because drag would have started mainstreaming then in like 94 instead of like 2004. Or yeah. no, when did um, Drag Race start? Like eight. 2008. Yeah. So, and then it wasn't really mainstreaming until like 2012. Like, I yeah. mean, it's really been like a decade, I would say, of it really permeating and now we're in this whole new era um so yeah it just makes me like caitlin riley who i love she does these videos like on tiktok and stuff like that and um uh, she did one where it was like the girl that all the gays love and it, she's like this annoying like you know have you been to drag brunch no you've never been to brunch if you've not been with me you've never literally you've never been it's like you're a straight white girl shut up like <laughs> Like, how how are you more like she's poking fun at that girl? Like that's mo- like more mm-hmm. indicative of gay culture than queer people themselves. Um, so, anyways, uh, thank you for listening to that. I'm glad we. I mean, that was actually a good conversation. It's just yeah. I, I I guess I, you know we you know uh, behind the scenes this show we don't write this you know you're getting a naturally progressing conversation y'all it's we try, as real there, as it gets there's actually things that we try not to talk about so we can talk about it here that's true <laughs> uh so i didn't even again i should i really should have so i'm looking forward when the when it starts we will table this conversation mm-hmm. and then we'll really get into it in january as the season progresses mm-hmm. so stay tuned if miss uh whatever the name was maddie morphosis isn't sent home first uh anyways wouldn't that be the gag right <laughs> <laughs> RuPaul's like I let you on now get off yeah the time uh, <laughs> has come for you to lip sync for your life bye bye uh, alright uh, okay so we gotta wrap it up because we've already been talking for like half an hour so we will be right back to kick off our 2021 uh, holiday series with the Golem 
Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. So, as I said, we are kicking off. It's uh, December 2021, right? I haven't lost time. Uh, (laughs) And we're doing our, you know, month December... Horror. And this year we decided, because I don't think we've ever really done, well, I guess The Corpse Bride, that was like a Russian Jewish. We did talk yes. a little bit about that. But we thought we would do genocide and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, legal uh, contract law, I think is what it's called, right? Right. <laughs> um, but uh, so we thought we would do some uh, Jewish horror, uh, which ends actually tonight, Monday, December 6th. Hanukkah ends, so we're uh, we're starting here. We're and then, extending yeah, the holiday. We're, we're extending it. Uh, so uh, the we, oil is lasting for more than just eight nights, folks. Yeah, it's got, it's got to get us through all of December yeah. uh, for these for these four four films that we we plan to do. We got four four Jewish horror films we're going to discuss, and then uh, there's probably going to be one Christmas horror that we're going to pro- we'll sneak drop. it in there. Yeah, we'll sneak some because again, like you cannot have modern Jewish culture without a little bit of Christmas sneaking right in there. <sighs> You're such an anti-Semite, Joe. <laughs> uh, so we are talking today about 1920, uh, the Golem, uh, the Golem, how he came into the world, German, the Golem, wir an die Welt kam. We have to say it angrily. Yeah. <laughs> or referred to simply as the Golem. The Golem. Uh, so yeah, 1920, German silent horror film, at which point I got a silent horror scream from Joe. Uh, he's like, really? A movie I have to read? Mm. God Damn you. I, I uh, thought we were done with this shit. I thought we were done with uh, when we did the cabinet of Dr. Kari Kari or whatever the fuck. Caligari. Yeah. And uh, no, Calgary, and we're not even yes. we're not even done with horror, with silent horror. I have some others. Oh, Don't worry. Gosh. But I think one a year one it's like your penance penance uh, yes. pen, penitence or whatever I'm trying to say. You're, you're, uh, I do I watch one silent horror film a year in yeah. order to atone for all of my what for bringing up Drag Race on this yes, podcast. Yes, your crimes against <laughs> horror. Uh, <laughs> so yes, as I said, 1920, German silent horror film. Uh, this is a great early example of like German expressionism along with the doctor, or the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu. Yes. Dr. Dr. Caligari or whatever. Cal- Calamari. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's also, I learned, so it's directed by Paul Wag- Wegner, Wegner and Carl Bose uh, and then written by... Uh, Wegner or Wegner. I'm not, I don't, this is terrible. Just sh- say it the I way we would in this. America. <laughs> You're so, just say it. Uh, it probably is Wegner or Wagner. Uh, and uh, starring the director, he plays the titular Did golem. The titular golem. Uh, what I did learn is that this is actually the third in a series of films that he made about the golem that he. I guess he made one in 1915, then one in 1917. Those are apparently lost. They were lost after like World War One, and this is the 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 surviving 
uh, one of the series, uh, which thankfully, because it's, I mean, I think it's kind of a cool film. Uh, but to start, uh, like I said, we're talking about uh, Jewish horror in particular, and the golem does come from um, like a uh, Jewish folklore. There's also reference in Psalms about like this unformed material. I guess the word, the golem word comes from that. Uh, and then apparently there's also a Yiddish word, goylem, which is like a dumb, moronic, stupid thing. Like a, <laughs> is that where you would? Is that, goylem. Is that where we get the word goy? No, I think goy is, it's, I think it's like a portmanteau almost maybe oh. in Yiddish of those things. I don't know. I Don't quote me. We're not. Not Jewish scholars. We're not Jewish scholars. We're not rabbinic scholars. We are not culturally Jewish either. Yes. Um, we enjoy locks and latkes, but we are not, <laughs> you know. That is true. I'm trying, I, I'm hoping we can get Jeffrey for the first time ever to actually come on the show and talk. Oh. Jewish horror, uh, which is kind of, I mean, there's not a lot like of Jewish horror, I guess. But however, what I think is interesting, well, no, hold on. Let's put, let's put a pause on that because we're not even talking about the film yet. We're just talking about the, the basis of the, of the tale. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Judah Lo Ben Bezalel, Bezalel, uh, is the uh, 16th century rabbi of Prague. So that's what this story is kind of based on. And that's like the earliest, um, one of the earliest known, uh, iterations of this tale about creating this uh, creature to like protect the Jews from harm uh, or other, or people just like create a golem for protection or for revenge or for, you know, whatever purposes uh, to do, you know, to do your dirty work. Uh, yeah. It's Psalm one thirty nine sixteen, which uses the word golmi, my golem. Uh, that means my light form or like raw material. That's where, that's where that comes from. Uh, modern Hebrew golem is used to mean dumb or helpless, and then that, like what I was saying, golem is someone who's lethargic or beneath the stupor. So, thank you, Wikipedia, for this uh, information here. Um, the oldest description of the creation of a golem by a historical figure is included in a tradition connected to Rabbi Eluyahu of Chelm. Chelm. I'm trying that. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> Uh, Polish Kabbalists. So uh, we were talking a little bit about in the film, you know, sort of the mysticism of this being rooted in like uh, Kabbalah, um, Kabbalistic uh, traditions. Uh, hold on one second. Just uh, looking here. No, I think that's enough. Yeah. Classic narrative, the Golem of Prague. Uh, and that's sort of what this is based on. So before we dive into talking about it, Joe, what, uh, what, what were your thoughts on Dragolem? Um, I guess I enjoyed it. Um, again, it, it, it's, <laughs> I hate, I hate to sound ageist. 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 But, you know, it is a film that, you know, predates a lot of other films that I find exhausting. So it's, <laughs> it is, uh, <laughs> for, for that, it was, um, it, it moved pretty quickly and it was very visually interesting to watch. So. You know, I'm not going to watch it again. And again, this is one of those, like, if I had a cafe during, like, Hanukkah, I'd put it up there. In, in <laughs> this the is what you'd play during Hanukkah. Yeah, <laughs> just put Dickolam up there and, you know. Um, it was really fun. I think what was the most interesting thing that kind of really kept me going was, like, <laughs> figuring out the, the, like, composer choices for the different... For whoever composed the, like, soundtrack oh, later. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'll probably actually 
because it was available on YouTube for free. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll link that in the in the comments. Well, it's a hundred years, so I mean, I bet it's. I, I bet the copyright is, you know. No, it's in the public domain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's available. Like, people can do screenings of it and do, like, live, like, musical, mm-hmm. like, stuff to it or whatnot. And so I'm not, I have no idea what it was we were listening to. But, I mean, the soundtrack was bonkers. Uh, again, it could be the choir, noise choir, or whatever I was saying. It might have been their mm-hmm. version because it was pretty bizarre you know it was like all over the place but fine i mean it added this whole other layer to it but i would be curious i would like to find and and see it as originally intended mm. like what was there what you know, like what kind of music was it originally? probably an organ yeah i'm just curious so um i'm so curious about that you mm-hmm. know staying in in a positioning of curiosity joe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I think, again, uh, what I was going to say is, like, we talk about Frankenstein, and we talk about these, like, narratives of, like, you know, man making a man and, like, you know, doing something. And so I thought it was, you know, this is sort of a, one of those early stories about this kind mm-hmm. of, um science fiction or horror, like whatever you want to call it. Cause again, this is rooted in like Jewish mysticism. So it's like magical and they're, you know, creating this creature to protect, protect the Jews, which again, this is 1920. And he's like talking about like bad times coming for the Jewish people, which again, there've been many bad times throughout history, yeah. but like in Germany in 1920, it's like, Oh shit! You know, like we have the benefit of like that, like that hindsight of like mm-hmm. you know looking like when you kind of put this film in context with that time, it's like oh lord, <laughs> this is kind of adds this whole other layer yeah. of meaning to it. It's gonna get bad, girl. <laughs> yeah, right. Like yeah. he's like worried, like you know, oh, bad times are coming. It's like you have no idea. I'm really sorry, but that's also like <laughs> that's also like part of it, right? Like in in like my experience of like cultural Judaism, right. Is that there's that kind of idea that the people, they survive all of this terrible things that have happened to them. And that is kind of what kind of pervades their, a a lot of like quote unquote Jewish culture. Right. I mean, I say quote unquote, because like I am not Jewish and therefore I don't want to, sound like I'm speaking on behalf of like whatever culture is. But in my experience, I feel like what we see a lot is like, there's always bad time. But I mean like, you know, every generation has their kind of defining bad times. So yeah, I'm not, I, I, I feel like we have to make sure that we tread lightly because <laughs> we don't want to, as non-Jews, we don't want to speak for the Jewish culture per se. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I'm just thinking about like contextualizing it yeah. within you know, that sort of place. I, you know, I was curious, I'm wondering if, if Paul, like the director and the guy who plays the golem, I wonder if he was Jewish. Like, I wonder where he's coming from. Like, why was he, cause he made like three movies about this. You know, it's like, what was, uh, well, maybe he did. Maybe he actually made a golem. Maybe he did. Oh, now this says he was in, uh, he started Nazi propaganda films. Oh. Um, he was a, one of the first to rebuild cultural life in Berlin. Hmm. Mm. I wonder. No, I, I, hmm, I don't know. Uh, I don't see. Well, I did not do that uh, history digging to find out about him. Um, I sh- uh, anyways, 
Well, we'll have to move on because we don't have the answer. So I did find this um, piece about narratives of transgression in like Jewish folk tales, uh, particularly with um, Dergolem. And this is sort of like analyzing the film. So I feel like there's a couple different things we can look at with this movie. We can talk about like, is like, is it a work that's meant to be anti-Semitic or not? And there are differing opinions, different mm-hmm. readings of the film. Um, and then there is some like gender, like queer conversations uh, like we've had with Frankenstein. And then the idea of like art, like, and the creation of art uh, because, uh, well, yeah. So that's kind of, we're going to lay that out. Those are going to be the three things we're going to kind of discuss. That's my thesis statement. <laughs> So the, those are the three things. So what uh, in this piece that I found, uh, this is by, hold on, her name was at the end. She is a, where'd she go? Kathy Gelbin wrote this piece. Where was her? There was a whole thing that talked about. I'm so unorganized, Joe. We, we're out of practice. We're out of, I know, right? It's been like a month. And already it's like, oh, gosh, I've already lost everything that I do. So, Kathy Gelbin. Oh, shit. Well, I'll find the note. Anyways, she wrote this piece. And she's talking about, she's analyzing it in the context of, like, you know, whether or not it's an anti-Semitic film. Because, like, uh, early critics focused on the film's universal aspects, such as its aesthetics features or socio-historical relevance. Uh, It gets praised for, like, uh, possibly being a really accurate depiction of what life was like for like Jewish people in like 16th century uh, and the way kind of like the world looks. And then, um, and she brings up this Siegfried uh, Krasauer, Krakauer, perceived the resentful Gollum as reflecting Germans' grudge against their international ostracism after World War I as in anticipating the rise of the Nazi dictatorship. Um, and then she talks about like, uh, the oscillation between praise, uh, for the empathetic, historically accurate portrayal of medieval Jewish life on the one hand and charges of antisemitism on the other. So she points out, um, some instances where one, I mean, this is 1920, it's made, you know, in Germany, there were lots of, you know, racist, stereotypical, however you want to say, imagery of, like, Jewish people that is not, you know, in existence in the in this movie, in the sense of, like, you know, like, again, I don't know, tr- like, trigger warning, but, like, noses or, like, just those sorts of, like, features. Horns. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, th- those things are sort of missing from it. Uh, so we have that. They're not tied into... Um, like usually money is used like to signify like Jewish dominance over the world. And that like plays like no, almost no part in this. They're not bankers. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're money lenders. Yeah. Or, they're living, yeah. you know, they're just doing their own thing, uh, but somehow they're still a threat. So it's kind of depicting almost like a sympathetic thing. And again, and, the, and Rabbi Lowe in the film, when the emperor makes a decree of like, uh, you know, we got to get rid of the Jews where they got to go. We got to kick them out. And it's like, but I've been so helpful to you, you know? So it's like kind of giving this sort of empathetic uh, portrayal. 
how bad can I be that I've been like actually helping you this whole time? Right. Get, get reading your horoscope or giving you, you know, yeah. guiding you, giving you advice. Uh, they also point out that although like, you know, obviously there was like Christian, there were anti-Jewish like stereotypes kind of coming from the Christians. And one of them is like that Jewish people like had some kind of magic or like sorcery, but pointing that out in this film is the golem legend is rooted in Jewish, like their folklore that talks about the golem coming from magic. So that wasn't necessarily an invention uh, or wasn't an invention of um, Christian anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that was part of the story. Um, did bring up, well, the pentagram, there's like, you know, he's using that. That could be something that speaks a little bit to, you know, possibly being uh, an anti-Semitic um tied to like sorcery and magic by mm-hmm, using the mm-hmm. pentagram. Although we see both the pentagram and uh, the star of David. So I don't know if they meant like, you know, I don't know enough about like the, that use in yeah. the Kabbalah. Um, okay. So that's sort of like the first thing, just analyzing like how much of this is about like, is it meant to be an anti-Semitic work well i i actually had those questions too when i was yeah when i was going through it because i'm like are, are the people who made this jew because it all depends on intent right it depends right on, um it, it depends on filmmakers intent right so like yeah. if we are, are you are you jewish and you're making a film that is about your culture essentially you're making a film based on the legends that you've made um or are you not like? Are are we just dealing with like something that he was obsessed with and thought exactly? Would be a are good we dealing with film? like just a Rachel Dolezal like right. <laughs> kind of situation? Um, but again, like I uh, and I don't know, and I don't know if we have the ability to find that out. I, I mean, in looking at what I was reading again, these this is just coming because we don't like this analysis comparing the different critiques are coming from spaces that are some of what contemporary. So you have people who saw the film when it came out. We have like reviews of it who loved it and thought it was, you know, I mean, it was unlike anything they'd seen before. Obviously it was 19 fucking 20, uh, to like more contemporary reviews, contextualizing it in the, you know, in what was going coming for Germany 20, you know, not even 20 years later, uh, you know, rooted in antisemitism that has existed, you know, for millennia. Uh, and, persists obviously in in today's time so i don't know i feel like maybe that kind of knowledge if not lost i have not found anything that told me what the intentions of the director yeah. and the writers were yeah and and it's so it's interesting because it's like it is a horror film right it's meant to scare people right and it, it but it also doesn't have a clear like it's not clear what it is that they're trying to say because it's like, you know, the Jews are getting kicked out because, you know, they are like, they know magic or they have, they have access to magic. They do have access to magic. Right. So it's like, okay. Right. And they created the golem. The golem is there to like, uh, and that's the other thing that I didn't quite get for me. And this is more a function and a critique on the storytelling than it is like the, what we're trying to talk about. But, um, but so it's like they the Gollum saves kind of the emperor and his court, but then at the same time like comes back and is 
like seeks revenge on or not seeks revenge, but like is kind of spoiled and turns right. against um, the people that he's supposed to be serving. And so I don't know what it means in that sense, because like I've heard from, I understand the Gollum myth as like a positive thing of like people like when, when it, when you don't have anyone protecting you here, we can make something that will protect you. Well, it's again, it's a mix because it also gets tied up into conversations of hubris. Yeah. Much like Frankenstein. Yeah. And I think there's uh, like there are myths. Uh, p- one of the parts of the folklore of the golem is like at the end, it like destroys like the building it's in and like it, it dies, but it also crushes its maker. So much like with like Frankenstein and that kind of conversation of like the hubris of creating you know, something mm-hmm. of, uh, of taking away either from like God's power or the authority, whatever is, you know, g- informing that like power structure, it, you're punished for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't really have that narrative here. The, I mean, I agree. I think this is very mixed because he creates the golem to protect them from, and to serve them. And to serve. So not necessarily, and that's the other thing. I don't think that's it's necessarily true. from a protection standpoint. It's a from a servant standpoint. That's true. But I mean, in the beginning, he's talking about, oh, we got to do something to like protect ourselves. So he makes the, you know, he makes yeah. the creature. He, it is also serving him. It is also d- a demonstration of their power. So mm-hmm. it's also like, oh, look what I can do, you know? And then they're like, oh, this is cool. Make Now make the pictures in the sky. And we have that whole sequence where yeah. he, you know, does that and like everything, you know, that collapses and he saves the emperor and the emperor decides, Hey, you know what? You're okay. And you can stay. And so go back to your ghetto, um, in, you know, on the outskirts of our town or wherever it is. It's, you know, again, a little, um, murky. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then he returns, but then it's like this whole other story starts where like, Oh, by the way, there's like this demon. And now that or whatever, this dark entity is going to take over the golem which is what happens. And then you have like the assistant who's in love with the rabbi's daughter and she's in love with the knight who'd like deliver the news. That's very confusing part of it. That's the other, that's the other side of the, which is why we'll talk about gender in a minute. The anti-Semitism of it is, is the, those conversations rooted with the daughter. So we'll get there. But so then the golem like goes on a rampage, like kills a bunch of people or whatever is destroyed, you know, sets things on fire is going around terrorizing the town and then the rabbi like cast another spell to like get rid of the demon and then it leaves and this like pretty blonde child kind of representing innocence. You notice she had like an apple, mm-hmm. very Eve, very like, you know, gives that to the golem and like pulls the star off of him. And oh, now he's just, like I said, at the end of bench where they're all sitting. Yeah. So it's very confusing where it's like, okay, wait, are we, we like the, Jewish people or we're waiting for like the Christians to come and like still make yeah. everything okay. Cause that's sort of the, the, at least the imagery in the end is, is that, but, but here's the thing, right? That story of Eve and the fruit is right. in Genesis, which is in the Pentateuch, which is the Torah. Right. right. So it yeah. is a, it's accessible to both. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But like the people, like, you know, the way that, I mean, there are like, I mean, he's dark haired, his daughter's dark haired. There's obvious, there are some representations. So when you have like mm-hmm. this little blonde girl who like saves the day and she's got an apple in her hand, mm-hmm. it just there, it feels very. A little Aryan. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, Judeo Christian beliefs yeah. intersect, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's confusing on that on that end. I, I think it could read both ways. I think you could find things in it. And again, like I was going to say, moving the conversation into kind of a little bit of a conversation about gender. Um, you know, she's sort of there's conversation that she is not tempting exactly, but you know, she's getting that sort of, um, you know, I mean, is she the good daughter of the rabbi who like sleeps with this night? Like the mm-hmm. second she meets him. And what a like odd B plot, right? Like yeah. in, in, in the film is just like the, what is it? Squire Florian goes in and like then, and, and, and I mean, pretty, salacious if you don't mind me saying like the touching and the like the aggressive <laughs> pawing at her breast. I imagine and, for 1920 audience yeah I'm sure they would have been like oh, what a, you know to some degree on film uh, I, I don't think in like their private lives I, you know I mean we've always been salacious but that's all other thing mm-hmm. um, but it, like with the golem the film and all that like these sorts of ideas of like transgression and like one of them is like yeah the 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 daughter of the rabbi creating like this relationship with the knight, you know, who's like representing like mm-hmm. the Christian side of it. And so in a way it becomes like the golem and his daughter represents the rabbis, like um, rebellious children figures, sort of what they're saying in, in this piece. And, um, so there's part of it where it's like the golem is like untamed male desire of masculinity is mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. this thing that kind of comes in. Um, the film's message ultimately is conservative, calling for a reinstatement of the sexual, ethnic, religious, and gendered bounds uh, that it seems to try to undermine initially. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, be, be like everything ends up back kind of where it was. <laughs> Uh, in the sense, once the golem is put down, you know, goes down, then it's like the rabbi finds his daughter, all is well, everybody's back to normal, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find the piece about the, um, oh yeah, here we go. Anti-Jewish stereotypes mark the portrayal of Miriam as the dark and seductive Jewish woman, while Christian women at the court shy away from the golem's advances. Even more strongly, the blonde girls at the end of the film signify innocence and virginity, though the apple, this kind of goes what you were saying, implies the danger of temptation emanating from all femininity, uh, which I think... Again, that's it's, it's very interesting. So the um, pol- uh, this polarity between the images of Jewish and Christian women is blatant. Outside the ghetto walls, the golem sees a mother and child bringing flowers to a statue of the Virgin Mary and her baby Jesus. Um, which hold on, where's the other thing? Oh, that's a whole thing about like the Christian Madonna, uh, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Miriam. Which that's. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. No, that is interesting. <laughs> kind of playing again with these sorts of mixed iconographies here. Uh, but that, uh, so I, that's just the other side that adds to the conversation about kind of the mixed messages of the film. Again, that could just come becoming not necessarily from anti-Semitism, but just like good old fashioned misogyny in general. <laughs> you know, like yep. this woman is being she's being pursued by him. And so giving into that makes her the bad person. Like that's just so typical of Mm -hmm. like horror, but like film in general. So maybe that's not even, it might not necessarily be coming from a place that's, that's anti Semitic. Uh, And again, this is just kind of, this paper is going back and forth on like, here are the reasons it can be. And here are the reasons Mm -hmm. it's not. 
uh, and we can find this in all in in any horror that we try to like break down like misogyny, racism, homophobia, those sorts of things. And you can, you know, we can find both. They can coexist. Uh, obviously the queerness of it, we were talking earlier when we talked about like the Bride of Frankenstein of making, you know, and Frankenstein itself, like making, you know, children without a woman that sort of implies a sort of like queering of reproduction. Yes, we talked about that. We talked about that for sure. And it... it <laughs> It, it felt, it didn't feel too queer? No, not at all. It was just something that came up in, in like, just that, those sorts of conversations. You know, when, when, whenever you have, like, a man making another man, like, mm-hmm. there is just kind of, I think, an inherent, like, removal of, like, quote-unquote, the natural order. And so it brings us into these sorts of conversations. Yeah. Um, I think that there was actually a, yeah, many of the German, like, shower film scour film shower film of the air explored gothic themes such as homosexual creation of life the golem um it, it just comes up in this um uh, monsters in the closet uh but we also see that in frankenstein we clearly see that in the bride of frankenstein and you know the creation of of like woman like we don't even like we can not only create man but we can also create women so we don't need them uh which is you know scary those scary thought of science, you know, creating artificial wombs and, you know, mm-hmm. all that. We talked about all that before, but I think it kind of applies here. And again, because this predates Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh, the film at least, and the mythology of the folklore predates the novel, I, I think there's something valuable uh, to discuss. And then sort of the last thing that uh, I thought was interesting in reading analysis of this film was kind of talking about like art and how like what we create is sometimes out of our control Mm -hmm. and can like be even our undoing. And we see how like, you know, I think it is pretty true for like what was going on with like the Nazis, like pointing to like Jewish art, running Jewish artists out, running, you know, like pointing to that and that happens all the time like people like queer art gets made and we point they point to that as like evidence of our uh subversive nature yeah of our subversive nature and of our like need to be controlled you know when when people create art when we make things we put it out in the world and then sometimes it's used against us and that's kind of like that was a conversation that I thought was actually really interesting mm-hmm. when considering like the story of the golems considering hubris considering like what damage is wrought yeah. in the pursuit of creation uh, in the pursuit of you know either trying to protect oneself or you, you 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 make a painting you make a series of photographs you you know you write music to like exercise something and then people use that very thing to oppress you even more or or to kill you and we've you know we've seen that happen in history yeah um you know kind of turning art against its it's the artists uh, we're obviously in a time of that right now with the discussions of like cancel culture and like what is art, what is okay, what is not. Uh, and I just, I really like that kind of analysis. Like that's really, <laughs> like we can obviously, you, there's real discussions of anti-Semitism happening in this film. There's real discussions of misogyny. I'm not sure art is exactly <laughs> being discussed, but that's mm-hmm. part of the overcomplicating, you know, overthinking it. Yeah. Uh, and I actually really appreciate that because I do think that there's something to that, you know, when we look at sort of you know, how we 
that's a really good way to start tearing apart a community is mm-hmm. by destroying its art, destroying its representations yep. of itself. Um, you know, so by hiding it, this goes back to what we were talking about with drag race, like, you know, and, and drag Queens now by like, is not neutering, but kind of like, you know, what comes with assimilation, like erasure. And, you know, this is what's, this is what culture is deemed as okay. And so you no longer get this part of your identity. So it's a neutering, it's a declawing. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's kind of a worthy conversation to have when talking about this film. Uh, just, just in that sort of idea of, you know, what we, what we create and, and how we might suffer for it or how we might, uh, how it might have consequences and how people kind of take what you make and do their own thing with it. Mm-hmm. And, and we kind of see that happen uh, in this in this film, I think, to some degree. And I thought that was a really, really fun, you know, super fun uh, analysis, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly the kind of shit I love. Um, I don't know if there was an actual really good quote about that in here. Um, no, I don't think so. No. Anyways, other uh, stray thoughts. Obviously, you know, we we loved, uh, you know, seeing the influences of Sia's wig. You you brought that up. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> oh, this is Sia's wig. Um, it's very like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, um, I think I sang, uh, I'll make you a man from oh, yeah, the horror. From- <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's. It'll be fascinating as we move through this uh, particular unit on on Jewish horror, um, and hopefully we'll get to talk to some actual Jewish people um, to <laughs> kind of get their take on it as well. But um, uh, for a film that was made in 1920, uh, I thought that it was very interesting, and I can see why... Um, it has stood the test of time. It's not a classic by any means because I don't think it's very, I think it's very, still very niche, but uh, yeah, I wish it wasn't so niche. Yeah. I, I think that there is, um, you know, something valuable in and anal- in, in analyzing it and in, in, in seeing it. Uh, yeah. Again, I, it's like, man, I wish I could go back and what, what it must've been like to watch, you know, in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so mad I can't find that. Um, I had like a, a quote from that, the art piece of it all I thought was really cool. But I can't find it now. I should have uh, should have made sure. Anyways, uh, yeah, good times. Joe, you can make a man out of clay if you ever need to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to poke Jimmy Kins the next time I see him just to make sure. Oh, what are we calling this unit? Are we calling this unit uh, Horica? What is it? What do we come up with? Horror Menorah. Horror Menorah. <laughs> menorah Horror. This is Menorah Horror. A uh, Horror Menorah. You know, first we were two kings, two queens talking king. Now we're Horror Menorah. Yeah. It sounds like. Like, like the Horror like. Dance. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um. All right. Welcome to Horror Menorah, folks. That was De Gollum from 1920. Uh, Dankeschön for, for, you know, for... Oh, yeah, you didn't get to use hardly any of the German you wanted to use. I didn't get to use any of my German. Oh, yeah, Dankeschön, bitte. Eines, was ist eine Frage? That's, what is your question? 
Ich habe eine Frage. I have a question. Was ist eine Frage? What is your question? See, while some people like to sing, say German in the angry voice, I prefer to say German with a very fey voice. So, you know. Well, I, I love it. I respect it. Ach, du lieber Augustin. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, Gesundheit. And um, <laughs> I will uh, see you again soon, Joe. I see you soon. Good auf night. Auf Wiedersehen, meine Liebchen. <laughs> Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network. 